a quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Mariana Franco. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. <laughs> and I know you sing opera and you've got the most amazing voice. Oh, but that's I'm not, not sure for about today. that, but thank you. No, not for today. Uh, I get to sing in my baritone. Uh, absolutely welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, this is going to be uh, really, really interesting because the idea of marketing teams working more effectively together is something that is hugely important and most businesses overlook. They tend to have these segmented marketing teams. Yeah. And Mariana, you're going to share with us how we can help them work together better. Yes, exactly. Brilliant. Um, and we'll start with the brand search because this show podcast is called Branded Search and Beyond dun, 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 with Jason Barnard. Your brand search is full of different people. Mariana Franco apparently is a very popular name in Portugal. And Brazil. And Brazil. In Portuguese-speaking yes. countries then, yes, good point. Exactly. Um, but then when we go to America, Google autocorrects to Marianne Franco. So depending on the place you are, it's either an incredibly popular name or uh, completely unique. And yeah. this is a huge question from the perspective of saying, well, if you're going to aim for the American market, your name is absolutely perfect because it's relatively unique in those communities. But if you're going to work in Portugal or Brazil, you might have to rebrand. Yes. And did you say that you have a great story about your name? I do, actually. Uh, so when I was in college, I was, you know, 19, 20 years old. I still had a bit of my teenage mind and I was a huge The Lord of the Rings fan. So my email address uh, was not actually my name and my name, my email was not my name either. So I was Mariana Undomiel, you know, like from The Lord of the Rings. And I had this professor uh, that every time we spoke, I kept signing my name as Mariana Franco, but every time he addressed me as Miss Mariana Antonio. So I started thinking maybe it's my brand name, you know? Right, brilliant. Yes, and you could do that. <laughs> I, because I've been talking, I mean, uh, to, to different people, and it's a huge question of what's going to happen when Google gets smart enough to understand everybody who has the same name. And one thing I've done is this, which is to rebrand myself already as Jason M. Barnard, Jason Martin Barnard, and Jason Barnard, and get a knowledge panel to trigger for all three, which prepares me for the future to be able to use any of those three names at any point in the future. Um, and then Olga Zaretsnya decided to rebrand herself to Olga Zar, because then her name is completely unique. And she's incredibly forward-thinking, and it took us a few months using CaliQ Pro to rebrand her to Olga Zar. So you could pick anything. I can't say whatever it is you said. Mariana, what was it? Undomian. Undomian. And you could rebrand to that, but then you would have to live with it professionally for the rest of your life. No, I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> well, the thing is, most people wouldn't get the Lord of the Rings reference, I would imagine. I certainly don't. I don't know. I mean, the world is big. Definitely in .com, I would have more problems, I think. Very good point. And that's another great point. Um, we were talking at the beginning of the year about buying the right domain. And mm -hmm. we've had multiple clients who have bought .me, .io, um, .ai, but they're all actually GOTLDs. They're geo-relevant. 
.ai is actually, I think it's Anguilla. Uh, ME is Montenegro and yeah. IO is something else. I can't remember what it is. Yes. And that creates a problem because that also geo specifies where you are. So buying the .com for your name yeah. is hugely important and you might want to buy a domain name with your middle initial or with that really bizarre name from Lord of the Rings that I can't remember. <laughs> I actually bought a, a domain with, I don't know if it was like mfranco.pt, something like this. Um, I think I tried without .com, but when it's too expensive, it scares me, you know. So yep. even my website currently, it's called brilliantseo.art um, mm. because it was available. And I honestly found it, that it, it kind of goes together, you know, because SEO is science and art. And I thought brilliant SEO art kind of, you know, I like the sound of it. So, but yeah, maybe in terms of branding, it was, it was not a great choice. I don't know. We'll see. No, I love it. I think brilliantseo.art really makes sense. I mean, you say SEO is art and science. My definition yeah. of SEO on SEMrush a few years ago was SEO is the art and science of okay. convincing search engines like Google and Bing to recommend you as the best solution to their user's problem or uh, answer to their question. Art and science, absolutely 100%. You are listening to Branded Search. And beyond with Jason Barnard. Now, back to the show. But that's not what we're talking about today. More pragmatically, how do we get marketing teams to talk to each other? It's a bit like children, isn't it? How do you get kids to talk to each other and communicate? So exactly starting off with that, what are the marketing teams you're, you're identifying that we need to get to talk to each other? Give me a list. Uh, okay, so we have, of course, we have SEO, which may or may not include content writers, depending on if it's separate technical from content writing. We have obviously EPC, social media, email marketing, PR, you know, outreach, partnerships. I'm sure that I'm missing some, but uh, this is what comes to my mind, right? Ooh. I, I, read, I read one this morning, community building. Community building? Oh, yeah, yeah. All the bits are. Yes, yes, yes. Community building. That's true. Well, we know uh, so, Christina who's doing that for Cali. Yes, exactly. Yes, she's doing that. Yeah. Uh, no, all of these teams, uh, it's, for me, it's completely unthinkable to have a, a marketing department where these teams do not work together and do not, do not sit down and discuss strategies together. Right. But it's a huge problem because most of the time yes. they don't. Uh, so as you said, it's basically like a kindergarten, right? You just sit everyone around the table. And what happens at first is that everyone is very shy. And you spend the first months having weekly, bi-weekly, monthly meetings. And everyone just comes with their little notebook or their laptop. And they are just like reading what they did for the best week. We wrote this page. We sent this email. And they are just like reading out a bunch of tests that they did. And it yeah. goes around the table and indeed you go like, there is no conclusion from this. You know, this is not what the marketing department's, you know, um, meeting should look like. But at least they all know what the other ones do. Isn't that the foundation? If you don't understand it what is. the other one does, how are you going to communicate? It is, but that's the point. We, they never, or we never took time at the end of the meeting to say, okay, now based on what we did, let's discuss what we are going to do next. Ah. It was always like, okay, thank you, everyone. It was great. And bye, see you next time, you know? 
So eventually, um, we went more into our team should go more into talking about the long-term strategies and the bigger plans and what goes in towards the company's goal, right? So if the NCO or the content marketeers, the content writers, I'm sorry, are working in one specific project, how can this project be then used by social media or email marketing? Or if email marketing wants to send a special campaign, then how can we support them in creating pages or in, you know, in doing some social media posts for remarketing purposes? So it's very important that you try to switch your mind from just, you know, telling and listing everything that you're doing to go ahead and try to connect to other people. Okay, you're doing this, so maybe I can do that. Right. So we've got all these people sitting around the table. They've explained what yeah. they do. And then we start talking about what can I do to help you with your job yeah. to achieve the goal. Do you need somebody to run the meeting? I think it's very important that you always have someone to run the meeting. Sometimes it's two people. Sometimes it's two people that really get along well. Um, I'm not saying it has to be some kind of superior or a CMO or something. It can be one of the people from the team. But I think it's very important for organization that someone has the, you know, the points of discussion on the right. table. Um, and what are the personality traits of the person perfect for doing that job of running the meeting and making sure that everybody shares and everybody then starts thinking about how can I help the others? What are the personality traits of that organizer, I would say? Or, oh, yeah. in French, we'd say federateur, which is federator, which is the person okay. around whom it all kind of revolves and who helps to okay. mold the conversation of the group. Yeah. I definitely think it should be a too technical person or too number-oriented person, someone more open-minded, you know, and creative. I think creativeness is the most important mm. thing here because you need to be able to think fast. Uh, I think you really need to be able to, if, you know, someone tells you, okay, we have this new service coming up, what can we do with it? We have a set of pages coming out next week. How can you use them for other departments? And it needs to be someone who thinks fast. Uh, so I really think that it should be not someone very introvert, you know, someone with the right amount of energy, uh, quick thinking. And at this point of discussion, I really think that the main thing is to be creative in what I want to say is that not be completely number oriented, you know, yep. not have that immediate thought of like, what's the ROI of, of that, you know? What's the role right. of that? You know, it's, we are, we are pre that part. It's, we are still building it up. So we will get there. But first, let's just create all of this strategy and then right. we go to that part. Yeah. So focusing on the way people are communicating and working together yeah. in the initial stages is more important than yeah. the ROI at the end of the day. But we will come to yes. the KPRs and the ROI further down the line. And the idea then is everybody sits around, you've had this meeting, everyone said, well, I can help you with this, I can help you with that, I'm going to release this, and can you help me with that? And then that person who's in charge of the meeting then writes it all down. Yes. And sends a report. Is, yes, that is the most important thing. Everything needs to be written down. No miscommunications, no misunderstandings. I also think it's important that in these kind of meetings, uh, you first have some kind of marketing only because what happens in many companies is that you always have the big bosses that want to be present in these meetings. You know, they want wow. to know what's happening, you know. So you have the 
the CEO or you have the CFO or you have some, someone that is not at all marketing related wants to be in this meeting. And when this happens, it kills the whole process. It kills the whole flow, mm. the whole creative flow. Because you immediately get, you know, whenever you suggest something, okay, I have these pages, how can you use them in email marketing? And this person will interrupt and say, what's the ROI for that? Mm. You know, how much will I get? For we are still in the process of building. So I think it's really important that on early stages, only, you know, it's about creativity. Okay. Yeah, it's just about putting the ideas down and everything. And then later on, we can move on to, okay, let's bring it to the boss. Let's see what he says, you know. <laughs> but right. after the plan, it's, it's kind no, of big. That's a really, really, really good point. I mean, I'm the boss of Cali Cube, and I realize that we're doing this quite well because Marianne is the person who organizes these things. Then she does the report, and she just sent me a list of saying, right, this is how we're going to organize it. We had the meeting. This is how we're going to organize this particular aspect of CaliCube. I wasn't in the meeting. They didn't tell me about the meeting. They just came to me with, this is what we're suggesting. Do you agree? Which is brilliant. Yeah. No, and I yeah, and I shouldn't be involved. I agree 100%. I don't yeah. need to know uh, how people make the decisions about how they're going to organize between each other. And there are actually five people, I think, involved in one process of publishing the videos that we produce. Okay. Well, and it's different, you know, three, three different departments, five different people. Amazing. So anyway, sorry, back to our topic for today. So we've had the meeting, we've got everybody involved and then you wanted to talk, or we want to talk about KPIs and ROI. So the creativity is to decide how we will work together. And yeah. then the K, the KPI is how we will measure what we achieve, yeah. which is the ROI. Yes. True. So I through that. Three things as well, isn't it? Which is brilliant. I didn't get to my three things yet. <laughs> I still have three things to say. Yeah. Uh, no, about ROIs, I think it's here it's very important to say that, of course, that each marketing should have their own goals for the year, for the quarter, for whatever your company uses to measure their success, right? But when it comes to marketing, it all depends, right? Just like we'd say in SEO, it all depends. And especially within marketing teams, it can be so different between, between different teams because you can easily measure, you know, ROAS for PPC, for instance, and yeah. you can easier measure, for instance, the success of some email marketing campaign. Then you can measure a strategy from, for example, organic. Uh, of course, there are still ways to understand if you know, your traffic came organically or not, but now, especially with GF4, this is becoming harder and harder to get to full mm. data and everything. So how do you actually put KPIs on, let's say, content writers, for instance? Uh, for how do you put KPIs on brand strategies, for instance, if you have a huge mm. brand, brand strategy, yeah, going on <laughs> YouTube or social media, you know, or, you know, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever it is. How do you put a KPI on that? You know, you know, uh, we met Snerid, for example, uh, mm. and he does these brilliant videos, right? How do you put a KPI on these videos? You know, you cannot just put a KPI on it. But the truth yeah. is that they work. So what I think here is very important is to distinguish which team you can actually put a KPI on actual numbers and which team you need to be more flexible and understand that you might collect your we say in Portuguese, your fruit <laughs> in two years from now. It's not something cool. that you will collect next month or next quarter, but maybe in two years, especially if it's brand strategy, right? And yeah. this is sometimes very hard to make the high management 
border, understand this space. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 100%, so, I mean, from that perspective, they're saying, I need to prove to the shareholders or to my boss or whoever it is they answer to. And we forget that everybody answers to somebody. And at that point, they're saying, well, I need to demonstrate that the money I've invested in, the content writing team is actually bringing some kind of money, or I can't justify the fact that we're invest investing in them. And I think that's a huge, huge problem. I don't know what the solution is, because if the content team cannot be KPI'd, yeah. how do you justify their work? Uh, one thing that I, I remember that I was talking a lot in the past was, you know, how we tend to use universal analytics and we just say, okay, so the click came from PPC, so the, uh, the conversion is attributed to PPC, right? And many times I used to say this, yes, but, you know, the first click was on PPC. But then the user just actually happened to be browsing through the websites and through the uh, work of SEO with interlinking with all of these things, they found some really interesting page. And then they actually decided to buy from that page after they read all the work from the content writers. So actually, at some point I was saying, let's try to understand the user journey and what pages they clicked on and actually separate the conversion into all the steps that they took to get there. Um, because it's the same with social media, right? You might have a great post on social media that is linked to, a, let's say, a blog. And then the person clicks on the blog and we get very interested. And then on the blog, you have links to products. Uh, this blog was written by a content writer and then they click on the link that is written about a product or a service that was also written by a content writer and then they buy from them. But maybe if the article was really bad, they wouldn't buy in the first place. So it's very hard to put a KPI on content writing because you may get traffic from tens of other sources that mm. wouldn't buy if you wouldn't have a good content writer at, at some point during the user journey. 100%. And it, it makes me think as well about the podcasts we have at Caddy Cube and also the social media. Joanne does the social media, Maria and Marianne do the podcast. And I now ask clients, how did you find out and why are you sitting here? How do you find out about Caddy Cube and why are you sitting here talking to me? And I've had replies from, I see you everyone on LinkedIn all the time to, I watch your podcast. Your podcast is amazing. And that's why we've come on to Caddy Cube. And that makes me realize that there is ROI, even though I can't measure it, especially yeah. with the podcast, where there aren't yeah. direct visits to the site. Um, but that also brings me to this, the question of those different steps you were talking about. Is one of the keys to getting these different teams to work together to demonstrate to them that they participate in those steps? Yes, definitely. I think okay. this, this is, no, this is absolutely the way to do it and also to show to your superiors in the hierarchy that it's the teamwork in the end yeah. that will bring you the final results, right? Um, I've, you know, it's like, I, I, I frequently say this, that uh, it's like you have a, um, let's say a printing shop, right? And your email, uh, email marketing people are sending a, a promotion about printing wedding invitations to a lawyer firm. You know, oh. and it, it, and this was happening. I've seen this happening, you know, but when teams sit together and they say, wait, but I actually have, you know, uh, a great, uh, product here that you can sell to your lawyer firm. So why don't you use my page instead to send it yep. to them instead of the wedding invitations? 
And why don't we go through your database and we try to figure out which of these companies are actually wearing organizers, and then we can send this promotion to them. And this all happens when you sit around the table and you discuss it in a group. Because it might sound super obvious right now to you, yeah. right? It's like, why would you send away an invitation email to a lawyer firm? This was happening, and I've seen it happening multiple oh. times. Because many times, email marketeers are really good at the technical stuff, working with all these tools, knowing when they get blacklisted, mm. knowing how to go around all of these filters and everything. I don't know how to do these things, you know? So, of course, we need them, and they are great in what they do. But sometimes, you know... It's, it's good to have the, the point of view and the perspective from a person from content, for instance, or SEO or PR or any other part of marketing that will just make the click like, you know, maybe don't try to get married, you know, to get your lawyers that are working on divorces and to spend them wedding. And how do, you, how do you get around the envy and jealousy aspect? Because the different teams are kind of competing, yeah. I think, a lot of them in their own minds and saying, well, you need to help the other teams. They go, oh, but if they succeed more, I'll look less good and I might lose some of my budget or my job yeah. or be moved on to something else. How can you deal with that? Because people are naturally terribly protective of what they're doing. That is true. And you know what's the funny thing? I've seen that more inside the same marketing team than between different marketing teams. Ooh. So I've seen it, for example, between content writers, you know, like competing with each other. Um, so between different marketing teams, I didn't see it so much because we, in the end, we all know that we have our own job and we know that if we help each other, it goes well for our side as well, you know? Well, so maybe I was just extremely lucky to work with, you know, great people that were not so jealous and maybe they also, you know, they also understand that it's beneficial for them, but I did see this. Yeah being in the same department, you know, and that, that is interesting. Yeah, no, it does make sense. I hadn't really thought of it like that at all. Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned three points you wanted to make, and I want to make yeah. sure that you make the three points you wanted to make. So please go ahead and make your three points. So for those who don't know Jason, Jason always <laughs> likes to put things in threes, right? <laughs> this is why. No, I wanted to, to just say that uh, when it comes to coping with marketing, Actually, me. There are three different things. Three different things. Very <laughs> the first one is what we are talking about. You know, uh, different teams working together within the marketing departments. You know, SEOs mm. and PPTs and social media. Everyone working together, and this is very important that the teams cope with each other. And many times, it's coping. Right. With the second part is for uh, the marketing department as a whole to cope. And for other departments to cope with the marketing department, we talk about sales, customer support, everyone else, you know? So I think this is very, very important that other teams uh, learn how to cope with, uh, with the marketing departments. And the last one of all is actually the CEO, which means to get this, this whole idea of ROIs and ROAS and everything. What is the ROI? So coping with your CEO, you know, coping with mm. making them understand that your strategy may not be a strategy to get money in the next week, on the next month. So which we talked about all of these things, but these are the three things I find the most important. Coping within the marketing departments, between marketing and other departments, and finally your CEO. I think these are very different, important things. I think that's brilliant. I, and I do love the idea. I, mean, I don't know if it works, works for you that way, but often I come up with two ideas 
and I desperately search for the third, and the third one is often very good, or I have four ideas, and I realize that one of them isn't so important, I can merge it into one of the other ones. And having three always, for me, just makes sense. It's really, really, really powerful piece of advice that a friend of mine called Dave gave me, who was a, a teacher in the north of England, and he had the best success rate for A-levels in a, in a, um, a difficult area in the north of England. And he said, the way I did it was everything in threes every time. But I think it works well because you can memorize in theory. If it's three things, you just, it's just easier for you to memorize. So yeah, yeah I, yeah. I mean, although look, I, I wrote three things yesterday and today I forgot what was my third. Uh, and now when I was talking to you, I actually, while I was setting my second, well, I was saying my second, I remember my third. <laughs> so, right, really. Yeah. And the third one is actually me. It's the CEO. And from experience, I can tell you it's very difficult to take that step back and say, do your jobs, work together. Yeah. I encourage you to work together. I want to see the results of what you're doing as opposed to getting involved in the nitty gritty and the details. Um, and it's been hugely, hugely difficult for me. Um, but I think I'm getting better at it. And what I've seen, if anybody else is running a company, is the more I do it, the better things go. But yeah. my immediate fear was that if I let them all just get on with it, they'll waste time, they won't do it as well as I would, and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and that's terribly self-centered. And the other thing is, it doesn't work like that. The more you, with a good team at least, with the more we let them work their way, the better they perform because they're not working the way that I yes. would work. Yes. Sorry, can, can you expand on that? Because I'm no, terribly, I, terribly... I definitely think that when people are led to do what they do best without getting, let's say, micromanaged, they also get more creative because they are not scared. When you work mm. in fear, you're not so creative, right? And you can come up with such ideas. And uh, I think the other thing is that the CEOs are always, they have their own things to focus about and they will tend to project these things on the creative team. And it doesn't yeah. work that way. That's not how creativity works. So I think that delegating and knowing when to let go is extremely important to let the team be successful and trust them. Trust them because I think that CEOs are also very scared that the company starts, you know, um, just getting create, too creative or too crazy or to something and lose the, 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 this view of the goals and the vision and the mission of the company. But sometimes they, I feel like they really need to trust because, um, the thing is that, okay, I have a, I have a very subtle example here. Uh, there was this company that had a great YouTube channel. They had such funny videos. It was amazing. And I asked them, why don't you use this video? These are amazing to engage with your own younger audience. They use you a lot. They use your services. Use these videos. And he said, no, because now we want to become more corporates and we want to give a more corporate image. So we don't want to use these videos anymore. And this was the message that was passed on to the creative team. So the creative team was not, you know, allowed anymore to use these things. And they were great. And then you have companies like, you know, Ryanair and DHL doing all of these crazy videos on TikTok. It's super funny. Um, and they are big companies, you know, and you have like smaller companies that wants to be corporate so they don't do funny videos. So sometimes you really need to trust your creatives and just close your eyes a little bit. Pretend that... Uh, absolutely. No, no, 100%. And, and to, to, to kind of wrap up from my perspective, what I just heard there from your three points and what you just said is yeah. trust and believe. 
within the marketing department between the teams, trust and belief within each team, trust and belief between the marketing department and the other departments, then trust and belief from the CEO down to those departments, which is absolutely brilliant. So we get the last question, which is how can better communication between marketing teams help with branded search? One minute, Mariana, off you go. Okay, so a brand is not just a name and a logo, right? A brand is about your the feeling that you have for the company and the way that you see the niceness of this company. So if you have a team of marketing that works well, that is well-connected, that passes the right message, you will give to your client the idea of a clear vision, of a clear message, of a clear, clear emotion and a clear feeling because your social media is in line with your articles, which is in line with your PPC strategies, is in line with your PR. Uh, so it will give a much more consistent and stronger image of your brands. And this will increase your branded search for sure, you know. Uh, while if you have completely split teams, each one working on their own thing, in the end, you will get nothing. So I think this is my answer to that question. Brilliant. And consistency and honesty, being yeah. true to oneself as a brand, as a person. Absolutely wonderful. That was brilliant, Mariana. Thank you so much. And I, it's going to help our team. It reassured me that we're going in the right direction. Thank you, everyone, for watching. That was super duper. And we're going to introduce next week, which is Katrina McKinnon, how to leverage AI in e-commerce content. She was on the show a couple of years ago talking about uh, content scale with humans. And now she's going to introduce AI and humans working in tandem to gre create great e-commerce content. Could you possibly pass the baton, Mariana? I have the baton, which in Portuguese means lipstick. So I have a lipstick here. <laughs> and there you go, Katrina. <laughs> and so well, Katrina is the founder of uh, Copy Smiths. And she specializes in content uh, for shops and e-commerce. She's also, she's spoken in dozens of conferences with such powerful and unique topics and created thousands of training sessions. And this year, she will be a guest lecturer at Harvard Business School. So definitely, you do not want to miss her interview with Jason. Well, I didn't know that, but I did know she's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching. And we'll see you next week with Katrina McKinnon. Thank you, Mariana. Oh, the outro Thank song. you so much. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you, Jason. Cali Cube. It's all about your brand, sir.